Hello, my podcast listeners. Thank you for joining me today. You're listening to the In Search of God's Instructions podcast. I'm your host, Shirley Vinson, and every week I invite you to join me for support and encouragement on your journey to a deeper understanding of the spiritual way that God wants His children to live. We are all in the spiritual walk of life together, but no matter the storms you face, if you search for His instructions, He will bring you through. Today we're going to look at the book of Jonah and we're going to deviate from the book of Ezekiel for a bit. In fact, Ezekiel might be on hold at least for the next month or so because we're coming up on the high holy days and I'm also looking at giving some podcasts regarding these important days that God has instructed us to keep. If we are going to be obedient to his instructions, we need to study these high holy days. In any case, today we're going to be looking at the book of Jonah, starting at chapter 1. Let us say a prayer. Dear Father, we thank you once again for coming together to study your word, to get to know of your ways, to understand what it is that you require of us to become a part of your kingdom. As we study the book of Jonah, we ask that you please enlighten us, Place in our minds and our hearts understanding of your ways. Give us courage and strength to ponder the important things in life and to make choices that will lead to our soul salvation as opposed to our soul destruction. Strengthen us in our weaknesses and guide us along the way as we go in search of your instructions. These things we ask and pray for in the name of Yehoshua our Lord and our Savior. This podcast is not a podcast that condones anti-Semitism, racism, anti-Catholicism, or any religious belief that an individual has chosen for their life. This podcast is strictly based on biblical principles according to the Word of God and historical data to support the things that we read about in Scripture. The Word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amity, Go at once to Nineveh, that great city, and proclaim judgment upon it, for their wickedness has come before me. Jonah, however, started out to flee to Tarshish from the Lord's service. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. He paid the fare and went aboard to sail with the others to Tarshish, away from the service of the Lord. But the Lord cast a mighty wind upon the sea. And such a great tempest came upon the sea that the ship was in danger of breaking up. In their fright, the sailors cried out, each to his own God, and they flung the ship's cargo overboard to make it lighter for them. Jonah, meanwhile, had gone down into the hold of the vessel where he lay down and fell asleep. The captain went over to him and cried out, How can you be sleeping so soundly? Up! Call upon your God! Perhaps the God will be kind to us, and we will not perish. The men said one to another, Let us cast lots and find out on whose account this misfortune has come upon us. They cast lots, and the lot fell on Jonah. They said to him, Tell us, you who have brought misfortune upon us, what is your business? Where have you come from? And what is your country? And of what people are you? I am a Hebrew, he replied. I worship the Lord, the God of heaven, who made both sea and land. 
The men were greatly terrified, and they asked him, What have you done? And when the men learned that he was fleeing from the service of the Lord, for so he told them, they said to him, What must we do to you to make the sea calm around us? For the sea was growing more and more stormy. He answered, Heave me overboard, and the sea will calm down for you. For I know that this terrible storm came upon you on my account. Nevertheless, the men rowed hard to regain the shore, but they could not, for the sea was growing more and more stormy upon them. Then they cried out to the Lord, O Lord, please do not let us perish on account of this man's life. Do not hold us guilty of killing an innocent person. For you, O Lord, by your will have brought this about. And they heaved Jonah overboard, and the sea stopped raging. The men feared the Lord greatly. They offered a sacrifice to the Lord, and they made vows. First, we're looking at here in chapter 1, that God gave Jonah an instruction to go to Nineveh because he was preparing to judge Nineveh because of all of their wickedness that they were doing. Jonah, on the other hand, decided that he was going to go in the opposite direction, away from Nineveh. So he went to Joppa and he purchased a ticket for a ship that was sailing in the complete opposite direction of Nineveh. When he boarded the ship, he went down into the bottom of the ship and fell asleep, thinking that he was out of God's sight. He was hiding from God because he didn't want to go to Nineveh. Obviously, Nineveh was a very wicked city. God had decided that if they didn't repent, he was going to destroy them. And Jonah obviously wanted them to be destroyed. He didn't care that God destroyed them because he didn't like the wicked things that was being done in Nineveh. And obviously he must have felt that if these people are so wicked that they're doing these wicked things, they deserve to be destroyed. That is the reason he decided to go in the opposite direction of what God told him to go in. And he went and he purchased this ticket thinking that he was getting away from God and hiding from God, thinking that God would not find him on the ship. I don't know why people think that they can hide from God, but obviously Jonah is a classic example of how we think today, that we can do things, and of course we have the choice to do them or not do them, but don't think for one minute when God gives us instructions to do something that is going to bring about the soul salvation of other human beings. Don't think for one minute he's not going to hold you accountable or that you're going to hide from him and get out of the task that he has given you to do. You may end up not doing the task. He will eventually find somebody else to do the task. But as a result, you will surely get punished for being disobedient, for not doing what God has instructed you to do. The men were so concerned because all of a sudden the sea started roaring. And they realized they were going to lose their lives. If that storm didn't cease, they knew that they were all going to lose their lives. And when they found Jonah, what did they ask him after they cast the lots? And the lot fell on Jonah, that he was the person responsible for them having the trouble on the sea that they were having. He said, I am a Hebrew. I worship the God of the sea and of the land. Meaning... He worshiped the Almighty Creator of all things in life. These men had been praying to their own God, 
but apparently their own gods weren't able to help them. And then when they realized they were dealing with someone who worshipped the true living God, they knew that they were in big time trouble. So therefore, they prayed to God and said, God, please don't hold us accountable for this man's life. We just need the sea to stop roaring around us because if the sea doesn't calm down, we're all going to perish. And your man has said that we should throw him overboard in order for you to calm the sea. So we're trusting in him that you will calm the sea once we throw him overboard. And that is exactly what they did. After they did this, then they decided, okay, we had better give sacrifices to this God because throwing his servant overboard may not have been enough. So they went and they gave a great sacrifice to thank God for saving their lives and calming the storms on the sea. Chapter 2. The Lord provided a huge fish to swallow Jonah, and Jonah remained in the fish's belly three days and three nights. Jonah prayed to the Lord his God from the belly of the fish. He said, In my trouble I called to the Lord, and he answered me. From the belly of Sheol I cried out, and you heard my voice. You cast me into the depths, into the heart of the sea. The floods engulfed me. All your breakers and billows swept over me. I thought I was driven away out of your sight. Would I ever gaze again upon your holy temple? The waters closed in over me. The deep engulfed me. Weeds twined around my head. I sank to the base of the mountains. The bars of the earth closed over me forever. Yet you brought my life up from the pit. O Lord my God, when my life was ebbing away, I called the Lord to mine, and my prayer came before you into your holy temple. They who cling to empty folly forsake their own welfare, but I, with loud thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you. What I have vowed I will perform. Deliverance is the Lord's. The Lord commanded the fish, and it spewed Jonah out upon dry land. So Jonah is in the belly of this great fish, and I'm thinking this great fish is quite a large whale. He's in there for three days and three nights. Just as the Messiah said, in these last days that we're living in, the only sign that's going to be given to mankind regarding the times that we are living in is the fact that he will be in the earth for three days and three nights, yet his body will not see corruption, meaning that his flesh will not decay while he is in the earth for three days and three nights because God himself, Yah himself, is going to raise him from the dead. And Jonah was trapped in the fish's belly for three days and three nights. And he says here, while he was there, he remembered Yah. So he called out to Yah. And he repented of what he had done, deciding not to go preach to the people of Nineveh. He decided, I don't want to be separated from God forever. And the fact that he is in the belly of this huge fish and seaweed is wrapped around his head. He is breathing in the stench of what is in the fish's belly. It is darkness all around him because he has no light. And he is floating in the bowels of this fish. 
and surely if God does not rescue him and let him out, he will decay in the belly of this fish. He will never see the light of day again. So he decided, God have mercy on me and accept my humble plea for forgiveness. Let me out of the belly of this fish and I will do what I said that I would do. I am your prophet. You have sent me for a mission and I will go and I will perform the task that you have commanded me to do. He thanked God for his loving mercy and his kindness. And when he gave praises to God after confessing his error against God, God commanded the fish to let him out. Chapter 3 The word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. Go at once to Nineveh, that great city, and proclaim to it what I tell you. Jonah went at once to Nineveh in accordance with the Lord's command. Nineveh was an enormously great city, a three days walk across. Jonah started out and made his way into the city, the distance of one day's walk, and proclaimed, Forty days more, and Nineveh shall be overthrown. The people of Nineveh believed God. They proclaimed a fast, and great and small alike put on sackcloth. When the news reached the king of Nineveh, he rose from his throne, took off his robe, put on sackcloth, and sat in ashes. And he had the word cried through Nineveh. By decree of the king and his nobles, no man or beast or flock or herd shall taste anything. They shall not graze. They shall not drink water. They shall be covered with sackcloth, man and beast, and shall cry mightily to God. Let everyone turn back from his evil ways and from the injustice of which he is guilty. Who knows? but that God may turn and relent. He may turn back from his wrath, so that we do not perish. God saw what they did, how they were turning back from their evil ways, and God renounced the punishment he had planned to bring upon them, and did not carry it out. There are several things here. When Jonah is released from the belly of the fish, God tells him again, for the second time, Go to that great city, and proclaim what I tell you. So, Jonah went to Nineveh. It was a three days walk from one end of the city to the next. He started out on his way into the city, a distance of one day's walk. And while he was walking, he says, 40 days more and Nineveh shall be overthrown. Now, I'm reading this book of Jonah to you from the Tanakh. And although it says here that after one day's walk, Jonah proclaimed 40 days more and Nineveh will be overthrown. The idea that we gather here is that as Jonah was walking, he was yelling out with a loud voice, 40 more days and Nineveh is going to be overthrown. And he kept saying it over and over again. God is going to destroy Nineveh 40 more days. But when you read what is written from the Hebrew, it shows that Jonah was speaking quietly. He wasn't proclaiming it out in a loud voice to get the people's attention because the Hebrew word here is spelled sin kaf yod mem, which means quiet. He was quiet about what he was saying. 
in the English gesture, you get the idea that he was whispering what he was saying. It gives the visual image of as if he was walking down the street with one hand at the corner of his mouth and he was quietly whispering the words in 40 days, 40 days more, none of us going to be destroyed because of his wickedness, repeating it over and over again. It's almost as if he was whispering to the ears of whoever was walking by as he held his hand up to the corner of his mouth and quietly spoke those words. And the people who were walking by as he was passing by them were listening and they heard him and the word started getting spread. Oh, none of us going to be in trouble in 40 days. The whole city is going to be destroyed if we don't repent of our wicked ways. Because when Jonah was speaking, he was indeed speaking in a quiet tone sort of voice and not shouting it out to the rooftops for the whole city to hear because it also says here that the news reached the king meaning that Jonah wasn't making such a loud cry that even the people on the streets who were guards for the king and standing in the city even they didn't quite get it as the people started speaking about it that they were hearing these words from Jonah these words got to the king's men and the king's men brought the words to the king and the king said, oh, we're in big trouble here. So he decides to proclaim because he had his men go out and they cried through the city saying, no man or beast or flock or herd shall taste anything. They shall not graze and they shall not drink. They can't graze and they can't drink water. He even had the animals in sackcloth and ashes. All the people, men, women, and children in sackcloth and ashes. He and his whole kingdom were in sackcloth and ashes, praying and begging and asking God to forgive them of their wickedness. And the king made a decree, whatever wickedness you're doing, you better stop doing it so that we don't get destroyed in 40 days. And it also says here that even though God had said that he was going to destroy them because of their wickedness, God looked at the things that they were doing, that they turned back from their evil ways, and God renounced punishment. He renounced the punishment he had planned to bring on them, and he didn't carry it out. So when people tell you that... We're not saved by works. It is true. We're not saved in the sense that we have uh, earned salvation through our works. However, the works that we do to show repentance from doing evil and asking God to forgive us is a testimony on our behalf to God. We are sincere about changing our wicked and evil ways and ask him to forgive us. When you ask God to forgive you for something that you've been doing in a wicked way, you're to put that wicked thing away and never turn back to it again. That doesn't mean that you won't be tempted to turn back to it again. That means that you have to trust in God, believe in him, apply his instructions in your life, 
and ask him to give you the strength to stay away from doing the wicked things that you have been doing. And you will find that day by day, week by week, month by month, you will gain the power to not have the desire to fall back into doing the wicked things you used to do. Day by day, as you trust in God, ask Him for strength to overcome the temptation to keep doing the wicked things you used to do, means that you're working. You're diligently working hard at not falling back into that trap of wickedness. And Satan knows that all he has to do is tempt you at the right hour, the right moment, the right day, with your greatest weakness, the greatest desire, the one that you have a passion to gain pleasure from, is what he tempts you with. And the more you think about it, the stronger your desire and the urge you have to delve into enjoying that particular sin. Because sin is definitely, it's a sickness of the flesh. That is why the flesh crave to do the things against God. The flesh does not crave to walk in God's ways. It has the desire to do what makes it feel good. If it feels good, it must be all right to do it because God would not give me these feelings to do this knowing that I have this desire to do it if it is a wicked thing to do. That's how some people justify continuously doing sinful things against God, the very things God tells us we are not to do. In order to overcome that, it requires focusing on God daily. Every time that temptation come up to you, you must know and study your word and have a relationship with God and ask God to give you the strength to overcome it. Put it out of your mind and don't go back to it. Every day it becomes a struggle, but each day you get stronger at overcoming that temptation and that weakness within you. And the daily walk of overcoming it is a work for you. It's not an easy thing for the flesh to overcome wicked desires. The flesh doesn't have the desire to do good. It has the desire to do wickedness. And Satan knows this and he takes advantage of it. And he sends his demons out to tempt you in lots and lots and lots of ways with your greatest weakness. So therefore it becomes a work to overcome the temptations and the sinful things in your life. And because of this, the more you overcome it, the more God notices it. The stronger you get at it and the more you take it and place it in his hands to give you the strength to overcome it, he strengthens you with his strength to the point that one day that great sin that tempted you the most will no longer have any power over you and you will receive a reward from God for overcoming that temptation through the works that you have done by following through with his words and his instructions in your life and placing it in his hands. And as a result of that, God will relent from whatever harm or destruction he might have decided to place upon your life for the things that you're doing. Because whether we like it or not, God sends his words out once. And his word goes out to the just 
and the unjust. He does not give one set of instructions for people who are trying to walk in his ways and another set of instructions for people who are not trying to walk in his ways. And the reason for that is because we are all fleshly creatures. By nature, we are sinful creatures. So, as a result of that, we each have to make the choice on our own to overcome our own individual sins. So, on the one hand, he gives us blessings if we do what he has instructed us to do, and he gives us his instructions through the books that he has managed to preserve for us in what's written in these Bibles, and he give us curses for not performing his instructions. And they're both automatic. It's not like, okay, he's going to take a look at my life today and judge me today based on every sin that I'm trying to overcome. What he does is he says, okay, if you follow my instructions, these are the blessings that will come as a result of following my instructions. If you walk against my instructions, these are the curses that will cling to you if you walk against my instructions. And for that reason, I am really the one in control of whether or not I receive blessings or whether or not I receive curses because it is my individual choice to either choose to walk in God's instructions or not to walk in his instructions. Meaning it is my individual choice to apply his instructions in my life or not to apply them in my life. And either I will be blessed by applying them or cursed by not applying them. And that is how it is for every single person on the face of the earth. You have some people who have made the decision to never apply God's instructions in their lives because they don't believe that it matters. And that is perfectly their choice. They will receive the reward for not applying God's instructions in their lives. And as a result of that, their judgment is their judgment. That's why we can't worry about other people's judgments. All we can do is say, hey, this is what God has put us here to do. Share, help direct somebody else along the way. But all we can do is put the message out there. And just like each of us have to pick it up for ourselves and walk in it according to what he instructs us to do in the word, other people decide, I'm not going to pick it up. I'm not going to apply it. And I will deal with the consequences. And that's how life is. In this particular case, the king said to the people of Nineveh, you don't have a choice about repenting and putting on sackcloth and ashes and not drinking or eating until we receive God's instructions that he will not destroy us until God tells us it's okay that he has forgiven us for the things that we're doing. As a result of putting away these sins, while I'm king, don't go back to them. That's basically what this king is telling his citizens. Jonah did not care for these people to the point that he walked down the streets, a three days walk, and he quietly was saying the words, in 40 days, the city is going to be destroyed. In 40 days, he didn't stand out and proclaim it to the top of his lungs. 
and shouted it to the whole city because you get a quite different picture here when you read how he said the words that he said in the Hebrew compared to what we're given in the English. Chapter 4. This displeased Jonah greatly, and he was grieved. He prayed to the Lord, saying, O Lord, isn't this just what I said when I was still in my own country? That is why I fled beforehand to Tarshish. For I know that you are a compassionate and generous God, slow to anger, abounding in kindness, renouncing punishment. Please, Lord, take my life, for I would rather die than live. The Lord replied, Are you that deeply grieved? Now Jonah had left the city and found a place east of the city. He made a booth there and sat under it in the shade until he should see what happened to the city. The Lord provided a ransomless plant which grew up over Jonah to provide shade for his head and save him from the discomfort. Jonah was very happy about the plant. But the next day at dawn, God provided a worm which attacked the plant so that it withered. And when the sun rose, God provided a sultry east wind. The sun beat down on Jonah's head and he became faint. He begged for death saying, Ah, oh, I would rather die than live. Then God said to Jonah, Are you so deeply grieved about the plant? Yes, he replied, so deeply that I want to die. Then the Lord said, You cared about the plant, which you did not work for, and which you did not grow, which appeared overnight and perished overnight. Should I not care about Nineveh, that great city, in which there are more than a 120,000 persons who do not yet know their right hand from their left, and many beasts as well. In this last chapter, we see that God is compassionate, and he has a sense of humor. Humor in the sense that he caused the plant to grow and provide shade over Jonah's head for him, but the next day at dawn, God provided a worm which attacked the plant. Jonah was surely hoping that God would destroy wicked Nineveh because he went and he got a booth and he sat there and waited and waited, hoping that God would destroy the city. 24 hours later, I guess you could say God was trying to send Jonah a message. Isn't it time for you to get up and leave this booth because obviously you could be sitting here for quite some time because the people of Nineveh have repented and I've decided to not destroy the city. And I guess you could probably say that maybe his pride had something to do with it because after all, he is a prophet of God. And when God says he's going to do something and God tells his prophet, go and speak to these people, Jonah wants the worst to happen because, hey, after all, I'm God's prophet. And if God says he's going to do this, he's going to do that. Well, at the same time, God is compassionate and he's merciful. And when a person repents, he relents from bringing destruction in their life the way he said that he was going to do. And in the end, God explains to Jonah, 120,000 persons who is not yet able to tell their right hand from their left, meaning 120,000 children 
would have been destroyed in the city of Nineveh because they didn't know left from right. They were innocent babes. They didn't know left from right. Children can also get destroyed in their parents' wickedness when parents don't take the time to teach their children right from wrong. So children need to have time to grow up to a certain age to learn the difference between right and wrong. And when they reach the age of accountability and they choose to do wrong over right, then their demise for punishment is the same as any adult whose punishment will be the same for the sins that they commit. And God is saying here, there's 120,000 children that haven't yet learned my ways. Perhaps now that I'm sparing the city, the parents will do their job to teach their children right from wrong and therefore spare the lives of their own children. And hopefully those children will grow up to have children who will teach their children right from wrong from one generation to the next. And he also said here, besides this 120,000 that didn't know their left hand from their right were also the beasts. And the beasts can't talk. The beasts are at the commands of the human race. And if the beasts are going to be destroyed, it's because of the things that the humans around them are doing. Because they don't have a choice. They can't say yes or no. They can't say I'm going to pack up and gather all my hay and all my straw and whatever food I need to carry with me and I'm leaving the city. The beasts don't have that option. So they get destroyed too. To spare the innocent children, spare the animals, and give Nineveh a second chance on God's part. And if that isn't mercy and compassion, then I don't know what is compassion. And that is how God is with us today. We are living in the last days. And he has said to us over and over again, repent, repent, repent. Regardless of whether or not you accept this. The truth is, when I tell you that we are living in the end of the last days, I know you may think we've been hearing this message since my grandparents' day and my grandparents' great-grandparents' day. And it is true. You have probably been hearing this message passed down to you from generation to generation. However, your great-great-great-great-grandparents' day was not as close as we are today. In fact, it's more than just being close today. We have reached the time where all things have been fulfilled as far as the timeline that God has set to bring all things in this world to an end. And the reason we know this is because of what is written in the scriptures in Daniel, what is written in Revelation, and what is written through all of the minor prophets. God set a timeline, and he said that at the end of 2300 days, which is 2300 years on God's timeline, certain things would begin to happen. Those things have been happening. Read the book of Daniel. Read the book of Revelation. Because now we are at the point where in the book of Daniel, it tells you that 
Number one, God gave us the information in the statue of Daniel to show the kingdoms that will rule on this earth until the time comes when the earth is going to be struck by his rock and the millennial kingdom will be set up. That's the first thing. The second thing, God is going to strike the earth with the rock and set up his kingdom. After the 2300 years prophecy is fulfilled, there is going to be a short, very short period of time that the Gentiles will still have control over this earth. But at the end of that time period, the Messiah will step in. And we know that we are living in the time of the Gentiles right now because of all of the nations that are in control on this earth, conspiring together to depopulate the world. Satan is after destroying the people who keep the commandments of God and have the testimony of the Messiah. They can't have the testimony of the Messiah if the Messiah hasn't come to the earth yet. But we know in all of the books, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, all of the books written by the apostles and the book of Revelation, we know that the Messiah has come, he shed his blood for our sins, and he returned to heaven to become our high priest and sit on the throne at the right hand of God. And God has given the kingdom over to him. And that is why he will come back to this earth to rule his kingdom. Not so long ago, I revealed to you in one of my other podcasts that I kept waking up to the sound of a door closing. I did a podcast on it to reveal to the people that the door to salvation is closing. Once I did the podcast to relay the message to you of what God was showing me of the door closing, I don't wake up to the sound of a door closing. And this is the sound of a heavy door closing. I don't have heavy doors in my house. I don't have those kind of vaulted kind of sounding doors that when you close it, it makes the sound of a huge thud and a click. The door to salvation is closing. And all people who haven't made the choice to live for God under the instructions that he has given us, will be counted unworthy to be a part of his kingdom and they will not make it into his kingdom. And it doesn't matter if you're born of the tribes of Israel or if you are not. If you are a Gentile seeking to be grafted in, you're required to follow the same instructions that God has given to the tribes of Israel when it comes to worshiping him and how you live your life. So we're at the day of reckoning, basically. And I encourage all of my listeners, to pay attention to what's happening in the world around you. COVID-19 is not an accident. The New World Agenda to depopulate the world is not by chance. It's been in the planning and the decision and the preparation for many, 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 many years now. We just didn't know it because we were too busy living our daily lives like most people are still today too busy with what is going on in the world physically to pay attention to what is going on in the world spiritually. And as a result of this, the world is now in turmoil. A lot of people saying that it has to do 
with climate change. But there are many, many scientists who agree it has nothing to do with climate change because the climate really hasn't changed a whole lot. The world is hot, but the world has always been hot. It's not nearly as hot as it's going to get once the Messiah comes back. And it's certainly not as hot as it is going to get in the day of Armageddon. Keep those things in mind as you think about where your life is and make your choice for whether or not you're going to walk in God's instructions or if you're not. It is up to each of us individually to examine our own lives. Ask ourselves, are we applying the instructions of God in our lives, not the instructions of man? It is up to each of us individually to seek out for ourselves what is true and what is not true. And stop listening to what man is telling you. Don't listen to what I'm telling you on this podcast. If you want to know whether or not the things that I am saying to you are true based on the teachings of what's written in what I'm reading from you today, the Tanakh, usually I'm reading from the Holy Bible, the New King James Version. But today I felt that the Tanakh gave a more vivid picture of what was going on in the wording that was used as opposed to what is written in the King James Version. But in any case, it is up to you to take the time to read it for yourself. Take the time to find out what God's instructions are for yourself and make the decision about applying them to your life. Either you're going to live by them or you're not. We will each gather the reward for our own individual choice. Keep these things in mind as we get ready to go into God's feast days that he has commanded us to keep that are now upon us within the next couple of weeks. If you are trying to grow your personal relationship with Yah, our Father, and get to know Yehoshua, our Messiah, I invite you to head over to my website at https in search of God's instructions dot org slash guide. I have developed a seven step process for trying to grow your personal relationship with God. Perhaps this guide will be of encouragement to you to help you along your way as you seek to grow closer to him, to get to know his ways, and to live according to his instructions. May God be with you. May he watch over you. May he guide you along the way, give you understanding, insight, and discernment as you go in search of his instructions.